Welcome, Al and Jim. Al, I have a question for you uh, to start us off today. What is a freedom of navigation operation? That's something we've been running for uh, for decades. Uh, I think it started in places like South America. There's a couple of choke points there which are disputed as to who can go and who can can who can't. Uh, but of course, when China started with the uh, South China Sea business, uh, they were running FONOPS regularly, in fact, frequently uh, in South China Sea, and of course, also running them uh, running carrier groups. Uh, you normally a fun up is done with a destroyer or even a you know a, a frigate if, if it's a minor uh, uh, dispute, uh, but they've started running carrier task groups through the Taiwan Straits. So yeah, 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 China. So Al, what's the what's the basis for doing these types of things? Uh, uh, use it or lose it, basically. Um, like. Um, even during the height of the Cold War, the non-Soviet bloc ships never entered the Sea of Okhotsk, which is you know that huge sea north of Japan, uh, you know, gets up against Siberia, because before the Cold War, no one had ever entered it because there was no nothing to do up there except for <laughs> Russian ships going and you know, going and um, the, picking up whale oil or, or timber or whatever the hell, you know. And slave labor camps like Magadan. Yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, so right almost immediately after the, the wall fell, the U.S. Navy began running, uh, uh, you know, freedom of navigation cruises into the Sea of O. And I, I can recall, you know, sailors, you know, former, former you know, ship captains, you know, Navy, Navy, Navy officers kidding each other of the most interesting place they'd, they'd sailed, right? And one of them, like, aced everybody by saying, well, I've sailed the Sea of O, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, during the Cold War, we would annually send a destroyer or two, uh, almost almost like clockwork, into the Black Sea, uh, you know, just to make sure that the Black Sea was not just a lake for the um, the, the literal countries, you know? And uh, doing it in various other parts of the world to make sure that we we legally could have a ship there, you know. So and the Turks appreciated it. Yes, back when they yes, appreciated the Turks did appreciate that. <laughs> then <laughs> I'm not sure they do now. We don't know. Um, although it's interesting that uh, well, that's that's on Turkey, which is another matter. But the South China Seas is is a peculiar thing because if you look at old maps of the sea, the seas there, uh, disregarding territorial claims or whatnot, the, virtually the entire central portion of the South China Sea is called foul ground. It's, it's right there on the map, right? Mm -hmm. you know, foul ground. Don't, don't go here because, <laughs> you'll, you know, if, you're, you're liable to run, run aground in, in, on, a, on a reef or a rock or something unless you really know the seas here and unless the weather is absolutely beautiful. Or a shifting sandbar. Or a sifting sandbar, that's sure. The most, that's the most diabolical of all. Yeah. You couldn't chart then. And, uh, uh, you know, the number of shipwrecks there is astonishing, yeah. which is why uh, the, most of the traffic was along the coasts. Even though if you looked at it, you know, if you looked superficially at a map, you would say, well, why can't you just sail straight from Singapore to Hong Kong? Yeah, well, you'd probably <laughs> not make it. You know? uh, even in the Second World War, when... Um, um, I can't remember, it was the third fleet or the fifth fleet, made a humongous raid into the China Seas. They were really careful 
to keep away from the areas, you know, that were marked foul ground. And fortunately, that area had been extremely well mapped, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to other areas across the South Pacific where, where we were using maps that were 100 years old. Um, but of course, the Chinese claiming all these islands is uh, is kind of shaky. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're resorting to maps that were published 200 years ago in some cases, uh, or that China had an outpost here 200 years ago. So it's sort of like the dispute, you know, the Falklands Island business. Um, you know, Spain gave the islands to Britain in the 1770s, uh, but Argentina still says they're part of Argentina. You know, uh, the Chinese are claiming territory that uh, if it may, if it had been Chinese, it was Chinese two, three, four hundred years ago. Uh, which uh, which raises questions as to uh, you know why can't other countries lay claims like that? And the only answer to that is other countries just don't have the muscle that China has. Yeah, and China does not want a war. Doesn't want to fight over it. Uh, even yeah. more so when you look closely at their fleet. Uh, they're building a lot of ships. I mean, they're mass producing, you know, uh, uh, large destroyers, the, the equivalent, at least in weight, but also in a lot of VLS, you know, vertical launch system mm -hmm. tubes. Um, but they've been having a problem uh, increasingly over the last five, ten years is they can't get enough sailors to man these ships. And actually, we have a piece coming up <coughs> in the uh, probably next week. I'll run it just to get it out there. Uh, about the Chinese um, Institute for Medi Military Health Management <laughs> uh, ran an article in the military journal, Military Medicine. Uh, you know, they have a serious problem when they put it out there in public. They're trying to keep, you know, disaster secret as long as possible, but they're looking for solutions or trying to stir up, you know, uh, uh, how should I put it, nationalistic zeal among uh, reluctant uh, Chinese because they really depend on, on volunteers. They technically have conscription. But, oh, for over 10 years now, uh, well, since they started downsizing the military, <coughs> partially that was because they were trying to achieve a Western-style military with trained professionals. But they ran straight into the labor shortage created by the one-child policy, which uh, started in the 1980s, was vigorously enforced. You know, women were forced to have abortions, et cetera, et cetera. Even corruption couldn't slow it down, except in the countryside. And uh, now they, they literally are running out of workers. Uh, the, the wages are going up. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to have a low cost East Asian, you know, manufacturer, you go to Vietnam, uh, or you know, other places, even Taiwan, uh, uh, Malaysia, what have you. Um, but the problem with the submarine service is they, they they're trying to uh, create a modern navy by doing what the British did before us, and then what we did in the 19th and 20th century. By keeping ships at sea a lot. Now, this is expensive. It's wear and tear when you're at sea. But also, it trains the sailors because their biggest danger has always been the sea. You know, the enemy, you know, is, is, is an extra risk, but you have it every day, especially with the typhoons in the South China Sea and other areas. That's another problem the Chinese haven't come up against yet. They haven't hit a major typhoon. Normally, the typhoons come through, hit the Philippines. Philippines is right in the way, so to speak, but then they usually veer off to the north and head for southern China. But sometimes a really big one, <coughs> Category 5, whatever it is, uh, 
will blow right through, literally, through the Philippines, gather strength again. Basically, a typhoon is, is a Pacific hurricane, but they're bigger. Everything is bigger in the Pacific and nastier. And uh, they will then plow through the South China Sea, and the Chinese have been diligently trying to dig up records as to how much that has you know, uh, modified the maritime you know, geography. Uh, that's when I was talking about the foul waters. That's yeah. what causes it. I mean, not just the major storms, but even minor storms. You have the the uh, you know the 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 shifting sandbars. Uh, you know, even if you map them, you got to keep mapping them because the damn things move around. Um, but they've created these new islands by dredging up sand, which is you know talk about building your your fortress out of sand on sand instead of rock. There isn't not enough rock. And uh, they only have a few of their major bases on actual islands, and they're not very big islands. I think in Spratly, the Sansa, the capital of the, the new uh, municipality of the South China Sea, as the Chinese call it. Um, but uh, all the, the major new bases they're putting up are basically built on sand. And when uh, a typhoon, a, a big typhoon hits a pile of recently deposited sand, the pile normally disappears or turns into a shifting sandbank. Uh, so, they, yeah, they have real problems in there. Yeah, the, but the biggest one is they haven't got enough sailors. Yeah, these bases are also very low. Yes. And even if they weren't made out of sand, you get a good storm, a surge. you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Uh, if you look at a map of the Hawaiian Islands, there's that long tail of tiny little islands that goes off to the northwest. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, you know, heading towards Midway, and about halfway between this this French frigate shoal, which is a uh, uh, the, the top of a very ancient volcano, and uh, there's a place called the, one of the islands was turned into a little airstrip in the Second World War. If you, if you see an aerial photograph, it looks like an aircraft carrier. And um, so the Coast Guard for years maintained the station there, and every time the weather was reports were bad. Uh, they would just evacuate the the, the guys, and and frequently the the it's it's rock, you know. I mean, it's coral and, and rock, you know. Uh, but because um, the, the water would wash right over the thing. And yeah, these as, 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 there. as New York discovered in uh, 2012, uh, yeah. Andy, the surge is what really did most of the damage. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, uh, I grew so, up on the Hudson River, and every 10 to 15 years, we'd have a surge coming up the Hudson. And low-lying property would suddenly, you know, be damaged. Yeah, so like the the, the typhoon can, could could you know wash right over some of these islands, and all that nice equipment and whatnot is just going to be useless. And I've seen some evidence that the the hasty construction is already creating problems because even building with sand, if you're going to build with sand, you, you know, you should let it lie for a while so it settles. And you know, and, and then pile some more on and let that settle for a while. And they're doing these things almost overnight, you know. And so now that the sand has had time to settle, they're probably going to have cracked runways. And uh, you know, if they want to keep pouring money into the place, that's not that's okay. Another problem they have is the climate. Uh, the southern fleet, uh, before the South China Sea uh, endeavor began, was, you know, a minor operation, mainly concerned with smugglers and what have you. Uh, but since they, uh, <coughs> since they started with the, um, the South China Sea claim, 
they've uh, built a major submarine base down on Hainan Island. That's that big island off the southern coast of China, a very large island. It's not going to blow away. Uh, but the uh, the climate is something most Chinese are from the north uh, or from inland areas, and they're not used to this. And, and the, the uh, Chinese ships only started getting uh, air conditioning uh, in the 1980s. Uh, the uh, the Russians had what they called air conditioning in the ships they sold the Chinese, and the Chinese found that it worked in the northern fleet, or now they have a central fleet off Shanghai, but the northern fleet is up there by, you know, uh, opposite North Korea and South Korea, and that weather is uh, fairly uh, typical of uh, New York, New England, and what have you. So, you know, air conditioning is not a, an essential. Uh, but down south, south of Hong Kong and Hainan Island, it's very tropical, and they 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 wrote this uh, they wrote the psychological report of submarine sailors from the southern fleet, where they have a lot of their submarines and they have them to sea a lot. They have air conditioning, but they want better air conditioning because they can't keep up. And they found that 21 percent of the sailors were suffering severe psychological problems <laughs> for all that time of sea and all that heat. Um, and when they publish it in a in a uh, in a in an open uh, military journal, the medical journal of military medicine, I believe it's called, uh, it means they're desperate for solutions. Anybody who's got anything, you know, pipe in, write the letter to the editor, and sometimes they find solutions. But this one is mainly a matter of money, and mainly a matter of not being able to get enough Chinese, young Chinese, especially officers, you know, who they can turn into career, uh, you know, uh, uh, personnel, um, they can't get them and they can't keep them. And uh, this is just a problem. This is a problem with all submarine services, the Australian. And I think uh, I know the Australians had a lot of problems with it. They have a fairly they have six or so uh, large ocean going submarines and they simply couldn't get enough uh, Aussies, uh, qualified Aussies to uh, to list and stay. And at one point, I think they had several of their their uh, Collins class subs were tied up because there wasn't enough weren't enough people uh, to put them to sea. Chinese are running into the same problem, and they yeah. don't want to send a, a lot of submarines to to sea with guys with psychological problems. I would suspect that they may be getting a lot of farm boys volunteering because uh, you know if, if you're if you're an urban type guy. Uh, service in the Chinese Navy is probably a little austere, and um, you probably can get a better job in some of the industries that are there. And, but if you're, you know, off, off from some farm somewhere and you want to see, you know, a better life, you join up thinking it's going to be great because it sounds great, and then you discover that you, you're on this submarine in the middle of nowhere and you have absolutely no privacy, and you know that, that requires a whole lot of uh, adjustments. Yeah, another problem with the Chinese Navy, now they're trying to change this, but basically they have the old Soviet system where they uh, they, they run the draft or they, they, you can join up twice a year or once a year. Now it's down to twice a year, and they're, and they're slowly trying to convert over to the Western system where the, the enlistments are, are continuous. Um, but what they do is they only give you each sailors, you know, about a couple of months of, of basic training. Uh, on how not to get yourself killed while on board a ship, uh, but then they have to get their technical training, <coughs> especially for the the initial enlistment is two years, and this is basically a tryout period both for the navy and for the sailor, uh, and they find a lot of guys just haven't got it. I mean, they, they, that's where the psychological problems comes. Almost all of the 
the uh, 500, you know, the, uh, the the 100 or so sailors who exhibited these problems were were first uh, first term, and these guys were on submarines and they were getting on-the-job training. That's not a place for OJT, <laughs> but the Chinese, you know, they can't turn on a dime with things like this, um, and uh, they're applying it to the Army, Navy, and the Air Force. Uh, but again, they're running into the problem: is there are not enough Chinese who are willing to spend, you know, even two years uh, on all these spiffy new ships out in the middle of nowhere. They first discovered the morale problems with the surface fleet when they started sending ships to the Somalia Anti-Piracy uh, Task Force in 2008. And uh, these guys would basically be out there for a three-month tour. Actually, it's five months, you know, between the uh, the transit time. But then they decided, well. Since we got them out there, let's send them to places where the Chinese warships has never been before. So they made all these extended visits to uh, Europe, at, you know, East Africa. They hadn't seen any Chinese warships since Admiral Yen came through uh, before Columbus with this tribute yeah. fleet. Um, and when he got it back, you know, the emperor said, "That's nice, burn it, and we'll file the records away." Uh, but the um, the uh, nowadays they can't afford, you know, to this to uh, get rid of the fleet. They need it. Uh, China is no longer a continental power, which is all yourself sufficient. They absolutely have to have access to the sea, and uh, it's hard enough getting uh, Chinese uh, merchant marine sailors. Although they can hire a lot of foreigners, that's how they maintain their big fishing fleet. They have, you know, Chinese, uh, you know, uh, captains and mates, but almost all the crew are non-Chinese. Hired often at very low wages and what have you, whatever they can get away with. Uh, but they, their 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 fishing fleet has 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 grown enormously in the last ten years. And some of them, of course, signed up make a few extra bucks by joining the naval militia, which is when you see crowd, pictures of or, or video of, of of crowds of Chinese fishing ships, uh, you know, trying to prevent warships or usually you know. Uh, uh, other non-Chinese fishing boats from entering areas where the Chinese want to restrict access so they can get all the fish. Uh, these are the militia, which are called up a certain, like a reservist. They're called up into uh, active service, as it were, and the Chinese government will pay for any damage that's done because they sometimes ram or allow themselves to be rammed and what have you. There's some chance of injury or death, but that's relatively rare compared to the, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, the dangers of, of fishing on the high seas, but. Again, it's a personnel problem, and they can't hire foreigners to serve on their warships. Yet they can't get enough, you know, qualified Chinese, and they can't—they don't want unqualified Chinese in all these spiffy new ships. So they're caught in a real conundrum, which you don't read about much in the in the mass media. They just talk about the number of ships, not realizing yeah. the uh, the quality factor, as it were. Yes, and and of course, as the, the number of ships in the case of the Chinese—they do have some impressive larger vessels. But uh, the so-called 800 ships, an awful lot of them, you know, are, are brown water or, or blue water restricted, and brown water or green water restricted. So, uh, you know, while they may be useful for, you know, wars with some of the local navies, since there's going to be a lot, would be a lot of coastal operations, blue water operations, they may not be much help. Uh, well, what they've done with their uh, with their brown water, you know, fleet. Is they've taken a lot of the older uh, corvettes and frigates, which they were going to retire as as new ones, modern Western design ships were coming mm -hmm. online, and they simply disarm them. They take off so, some of the weapons, if not all the weapons, and turn them into Coast Guard ships, 
um, or simply, you know, brown water patrol ships, yeah. uh, which is essentially Coast Guard. In fact, it's only in the last decade or so that they formed a, post, a Coast Guard. Before that, they had half a dozen different uh, maritime police agencies, all operating with that much coordination. Uh, so they finally solved that problem. And so they've got a lot of coastal patrol, far more than in the past. Um, but a lot of them are, are also available for a secondary duty uh, for intimidation operations. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things, Al, is uh, going back to the freedom of navigation issue, is that the United States has been doing phone ops through the South China Sea to you know maintain the rights of uh, navigation, but there are other countries now becoming involved. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, now there's a, there's a number of different issues, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's also tied up with um, the South China Sea is this humongously important uh, oil supply route for China. And that's probably one reason why the Chinese are interested in these islands, aside from the fact that, that they may or may not be oil or whatever the heck else on, under them. Uh, so many of the countries uh, sort of on the route from the uh, Middle East to China have begun visiting the South China Seas uh, or taking part in joint exercises. Uh, the French... Um, just frequently, recently saying, sending a little task force, and I believe that a German ship is going to accompany it, which uh, which has gotten the, the Chinese really upset for some reason. But on the way, they're going to be exercising with, um, I think, the Indian Navy and several other navies, and then they're going to get into the South China Seas, and presumably they'll do some little maneuvers with uh, uh, you know, some of the local navies, Malaysia and uh, Vietnam. And Indonesia. Vietnam, Indonesia, yeah, yeah. Uh, because these these countries want to make sure that they they have access to this uh, this trade route beyond uh, you know it becomes totally dominated by the Chinese. It's going to be a real problem. And of course, in the case of France, you have uh, you have considerable uh, French territory in the Pacific, which we we don't usually think about. Um, but uh, the French Polynesia and New Caledonia and uh, you know, are there, uh, so uh, they want to make sure that they maintain their communications with those places, and that, and China's a lot closer to those places than France is, so you know, visiting the area is, is is quite helpful. Whether the British will be taking part is difficult to say because the the, the Royal Navy seems to be. Uh, Almost all all uh, spearhead and no uh, no shaft, so to speak. Um, I mean, they've got two marvelous aircraft carriers, but they barely have enough escorts. And then, what about the the, the you know the tail to bring the oil and the bullets and the and the, and the beans, so to speak? Uh, but yeah, and one other of those, one the, is it, is one of those new carriers called Prince of Wales? Well, Prince of Wales is the newest one. The newer yeah, one. And, and and the British had an unfortunate incident when they sent the pride of their World War II fleet, the Prince of Wales, yes, uh, into Japanese contested waters. Yeah, and the poor prince sank. Yeah, well, that was that was of course uh, 
a, a wonderful example of lack of coordination between the various services as, as well as excessive ambition on the part of a commanding officer who, who hadn't been to sea in years, apparently. Another problem we don't uh, really have a good grasp of is China has been hacking the crap out of the United States. Now, we don't hear about the way the, the West has but especially the United States, has been cracking, uh, hacking its way into Chinese systems. We've run a... Uh, we run regularly an article on the uh, the, uh, the computer security situation inside of China, um, and it's yeah. pretty dismal because a lot of their their computer users are first generation, yeah. and so they haven't got a lot of um, how should I put it uh, experienced uh, systems operators and you know computer uh, experts in general, and, and uh, that's one reason why they have so many hackers because a lot of young Chinese with their computer skills. They look at the you know the jobs that are available to them, especially from state-owned firms. There are many, a lot of those, and they realize they can make more money uh, hacking because the Chinese government will not prosecute as long as they carry out a, a number of uh, a certain number of patriotic hacks. This is all off the books, of course. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Russia did the same thing, uh, uh, and these are a problem because you don't know. Until the shooting starts, how much your systems have been compromised, and people talk about a digital Pearl Harbor. Well, this is it. It'll be different this time, and that's something the Navy is scrambling big time uh, to yeah. try and assess how, how vulnerable are they, how how, how vulnerable are, are we, and how vulnerable are they, and and that's those are secrets. That's things you never hear talked about. It's so classified uh, because. You know, you don't want the enemy to know how much they got them by the whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, we the Chinese often get cocky compared to the more disciplined Russian hackers, and they show off. And that's how we find out so many of these hacks have, have uh, can, be, can be traced uh, definitively back to China. A lot of the North Korean hacks are traced back to China because the Internet is so lame inside of North Korea that China has, a, again, an ex off-the-books exchange agreement where they allow um, North Korean hackers to set up shop in, uh, in China as long as they pay tribute in kind. In other words, when there's a big hack, uh, big hack operation needed, they will enlist the, uh, their North Korean you know, younger brothers, as it were, uh, to play a part. Uh, so this is something that's really off the radar. And, you know, it's not something that was ever a a hot news story mm -hmm. anyway because, you know, it requires visual, <laughs> visuals yeah. to go with it. And let's face it, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of visual about a bunch of, you know, uh, Korean and Chinese nerds, you know, pounding away on their computers doing God knows what. Yeah. And, of course, there's no way of – like we have, we have um, frequent news articles about how we're being hacked to death and so on. And, of course, there's no way of knowing, as you say, what, what we're doing to them. And how and they don't talk about it. We don't talk about it, but we know about it because yeah. enough Chinese get out. Uh, and uh, in fact, there are information brokers. They started in North Korea, well, in northeast China, where they found yeah. that uh, Western news agencies and Western intelligence agencies would pay big bucks for a steady stream of uh, you know verifiable information. Uh, and the same thing happened to China. That's why. A, a recent scandal in the CIA where they had compromised our, um, our, our agents' identities 
shut down a lot of valuable you know information gathering networks inside of China. Again, there's the impact of uh, of intelligence superiority. Um, they have turned that to their advantage big time, and we don't know just how big. This this would this would this would be a uh, comparable to Intel ops in World War Two and even World War One, where we're we're now sometimes finding out the the double and triple and quadruple and quintuple agents that were around, you know, feeding information back and forth. And usually it's just a bunch of scholars who've discovered it, so the average person doesn't have a clue that this was going on. Well, I think it was in the 70s and the 80s where they finally declassified, again, as Al pointed out, because it was leaking out anyway, that the British had the double cross system, and then, of course, there was Ultra, the cracking of yeah. the, the Enigma of coding, coding machines. Um, and uh, they, the British kept the double cross system quiet. What double cross was, they had basically comp identified and compromised every agent Germany tried to insert into uh, either by you know persuasion or the putting their own people into Britain. And most of them they were able to successfully turn. And so the only way the Chinese could check if somebody had been turned to bait was basically to contact another one of their turned agents to go check on so-and-so and occasionally the British would burn you know one of their turned agents simply to maintain the credibility of the guys who hadn't yeah. been burned yet but that was kept secret for decades after World War II because they were hoping to do the same thing in uh, in Russia and China uh, Russia was aware of it uh, because of all the lefty you know Brits yeah. who defected and uh, and it was we're still even learning new stuff about the, 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 the skullduggery that was going on. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it'll probably be another hundred years before we suddenly discover a musty file that uh, Hitler's chauffeur or something was actually feeding <laughs> us information, you know. Yeah, the the, uh, the Russians benefited from that because, again, it was very fashionable in the, uh, in the 30s for Western, you know, well-educated Western lads and lasses. Uh, to become secret spies for the uh, yeah. the greater good over in you know Soviet Russia, boy, were they disillusioned. Anyway, that never ends; that keeps repeating itself. But anyway, the um, yeah, Alice, correct, quite correct. They the British are still, still have some items classified. For example, their use of stage musicians to uh, improvise mm -hmm. as needed, uh, camouflage, effective camouflage, mm -hmm. or aerial or satellite deception systems. The masculine uh, family. Mm -hmm. Uh, contributed at least one, uh, I think it was Hugh Maslin. This was a third-generation stage musician. These are the guys who did all sorts of wonderful things with illusions. That's still popular. But anyway, they um, they enlisted these guys very covertly, and they developed techniques which are very effective. Yeah, Probably they key in the, in the victory in, in North Africa, the first victory yeah. in Alamein. The the one that most impressed me. I've I've read the book, and I'm an amateur magician but uh there was a book that was produced that basically they were using unclassified material but they sort of figured out some of the things that had gone on and uh one of the things that they they had done was i think it was alexandria they had done a blackout in alexandria but they had built a scale model of this not of the mm -hmm. city but of the city lights and yeah. set it off to the side, and so that got bombed instead of Alexandria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, the same thing, they, they, you know, simple little deceptions, like when they started, uh, when they started lobbing V2s at London, after the first one or two hits, the Brits began reporting that the, that they were, they weren't, not that they weren't hitting London, they were hitting east of London. So the Germans, you know, jiggered the, 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 I guess the fuel supply, so that the, they would go a little further, which meant that they were hitting in farmland west of London, instead of hitting in London. Yeah, again, that's where double cross came in handy, and yeah. it was absolutely it only worked if you kept the the secret protected, and the Germans yeah. never found out. In fact, that was another deception. They had a special uh, a detainment, you know, a prison camp for the senior officers, and before they moved, and these were quite luxurious, et cetera, et cetera. But they bugged the entire place. <laughs> of course, yeah. these prisoners, you know, high-ranking prisoners, never do it. This has just made me think of something that we ought to do when we're finished with the uh, the history of SPI and Jim Dunnigan's efforts in wargaming is that we ought to have you and Al uh, for some episodes on the your Dirty Little Secrets books. So well, not only that, see, we did one just on. The history of deception and warfare yes. in the right. ancient times to, to the future, and that right. was twenty years ago. We've learned more, <laughs> right? So uh, we will uh, schedule some episodes for that uh, in the future. Do any of you think ha any of you have uh, anything to add to our episode today? I think uh, we covered valiant points. Yeah, and um, um, the one thing I would say it would be a concern is that uh, if it came to a long-term, cold, serious Cold War issue between the U.S. and, and China, um, we would have a disadvantage in building new ships. Ah, yes. Yeah, now, it, yeah it's true that their carriers are smaller and, and, and less capable than ours, but if they can build three or four of them in the same time that we can build only one, um, well, you know, that there were points in the Second World War where one one carrier was a hell of a you know lot use more useful than none, and um, that's the sort of thing. Right now we've got one place that can build carriers, and actually no place that can even build a Chinese size carrier, which is but what less than half I think the size of one of ours. That's sixty thousand tons at the latest. Yeah, ones. so slight, yeah, so about six sixty percent. Yeah, the Chinese have. Chinese have plans of eventually building a Nimitz class, but they may yes. be reined in by budget shortages and the uh, Chinese reluctance to uh, to, to to basically yeah. build the same thing that they criticize their their, their foes for doing because yeah. they're so vulnerable. Uh, I think they, I think a, a lot of naval officers would believe in more small carriers mm -hmm. and big carriers. But what really bothers them is the F-35B, the vertical takeoff version. That we did a piece. I think we ran it on the uh, on the Italian carriers, yeah. the the Cavour, the, the latest carrier, which is about twenty six thousand tons, about the same same as the World War II Enterprise uh, class, Essex class. Um, that's being that went into refit recently, so it can handle about sixteen F thirty five Bs. Yeah, so that's the, a potent. They're also layer. building a a new helicopter carrier. That's Ah yes, right. That will right. be able. So they're in effect. They're going to have Italy will have three carriers with varying capabilities. Well, the Garibaldi uh, is allegedly being converted to launch uh, 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 SLV satellite yes. launch vehicles. 
Uh, I, I tried like hell to get details of that, but apparently the, the Italians aren't even sure. But it's yeah. obviously possible. I mean, for example, they, they, the, the Chinese used an old Russian trick of, uh, well, I, yeah, I guess the Russians were the last one to use it, where they have a offshore barge with a, uh, with a cell in it. In fact, yeah. one of the you know, seagoing satellite launchers uh, that is currently in use by, I don't know if it's us or anyway, uh. but it's a large, like a, it looks like a, uh, a, uh, a, a uh, offshore you know, rig that yeah. is, is towed in, into position. But this one, you know, simply has a, a silo for a, a fairly large, actually yeah, quite large, um, uh, you know, a SLV uh, type launcher. Yeah. Uh, but now the satellites have gotten so much smaller, and the solid fuel uh, SLVs are, are are so much more popular uh, that the Garibaldi, as a as a as a as a uh, space program support uh, ship, makes a lot of sense. Also, the other thing is you can move it to uh, uh, the equatorial waters, where you get more efficient um, uh, uh, orbits uh, yeah. with less effort, as it were. All you need to be able to do is to move the the launch to the middle of the goddamn ocean. Or like the Europeans, I think their their main launch facility is in, in one of the uh, French or British, I think it's French, South South American uh, uh, territories. Yeah. Um, and again, for that very same uh, reason, it's just more uh, effective as a, a place to launch uh, satellites. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, that will wrap it up there, gentlemen, and we'll speak to you both next time when we'll be... Uh, talking about um, Empire of the Middle Ages and the Hundred Years' War, uh, Empire of the Ages from SPI and the Hundred Years' War from, I don't know what company, we, we didn't call ourselves the company at the time, so, uh, but from uh, a Strategy World. So uh, we'll, we'll be uh, talking. I still have the Roman, the Roman notes. Oh, oh yes, okay. we're going to do the Roman Republic if we ever I think got we... I think right. time on, on uh, hundred years war, but anyway, all right, it became a big business where we couldn't compete. All right, yeah, we'll talk to you both next time. Bye. Okay. Take care. Have yeah. a good weekend.